0: You get a table. You order your drink. You listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the T and E Speakeasy with your hosts Caleb and Isaac. Listen in as I discuss a variety of topics, such as the screen franchise. Kathleen Kennedy's career in the impact of the Requel movement. Hello, and welcome back to the teeny Speakeasy bonus series. Of this is episode 91. And I'm just cutting in here up at the front from the editing room to give a little bit of context to this first segment. Um, I hit record in the middle of me and Eric talking, I'm not really meaning for this to be a part of a bonus episode. So we didn't really give any context. Uh, but we're talking about the Scream franchise up at the frontier. right around the time that Scream six came out. so it was on the top of our brains and hope you'll enjoy the discussion.
1: When I spoke to Sean Saturday, I hadn't seen five yet. I'd just seen one through four. and we talked about you know our opinions of one through four. And he, Sean was saying like, oh man, that he loves five and six. like he just thinks they're so good for the series. Yeah. And so so he was kinda like excited. He's like, Oh, I hope you like five. And so I watched that yesterday and I got and I, I'm a luke uh, these days I'm a lukewarm fan on the whole franchise. Like like it's neither here nor there for me. Yeah. Back in the day the first one was amazing, but when I rewatched it a week ago, I was like, Okay, it's 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 good, but it's not I fucking thought it was Reservoir Dogs like the first time I watched it. I wouldn't say it's Reservoir Dogs anymore, but um, and then two and three, two was bad, three was terrible. That's my short review. Um, four, I felt like, all right, we're back. I felt like four was 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 a nice sequel. Um, uh, the first nice sequel. Yeah. <laughs> in this in the franchise, and then five, I liked it. I liked it. The, my only criticism of five. Is that it? It it feels like four with just like a shinier coat of paint.
0: Yeah, no, I can definitely see that.
1: That's my criticism. So it's it's doing the same thing four did, just a little bit better. Um, but no, it was good. It was good for a franchise. I'm not that invested in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and and if I just had to choose any one one through five to rewatch, uh, five would be my go-to because uh, I'd rather rewatch it right now than the first one because. Like Sean, I'm, I'm kind of done with the first one. Uh, <laughs> even even though no, it, it it was, it's classic in context of when it came out. Mm-hmm. But but, I mean that is what it is. Yeah, I kind of want to see six, but I, I don't want to go to the movies because I want to see D and D first. I think at the movies before I want to see. Scre- what were you gonna say?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I also used to be a giant fan of those movies back in the day, but I don't know. I don't know if I've just turned on postmodern. Kind of uh, up your ass mentality, just in general, in film, the '90s postmodernism. I just feel like it's so poorly dated these days.
1: But do you what what you call '90s postmodernism? Do you is it for you? Is it related to the '90s mumblecore, or are they two separate things?
0: I would separate them. Yes.
1: What's the se- how do you how do you separate them?
0: Well, because one scream isn't. I'm talking more about uh, kind of. The bigger, like we're all so, like the the kind of the smaller stuff, like the Kevin Smith stuff, that was its own kind of indie, just trying to uh, pave a path.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: But I'm thinking stuff like Dawson's Creek or.
1: Yes, that's. Oh, I that's, that's I figured that's what you meant. And um, yes. look what I did it that summer.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Uh, yes. The Kevin Williamson brand of. Uh, and
1: even um. Yeah, for sure. And even uh, I would argue, even though I haven't watched much of it, um, what's wrong with the. The teenage girl and her mother. Her young mother. Gilmore Girls. <laughs> oh, Gilmore Girls. I haven't watched much of it, but it, 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 it seems like it's in that vein to me.
0: Well, I don't remember that, but I haven't seen it since back in the day.
1: It's, it's To me, it, it's in that Kevin Williamson television vein, because like the little girl is so precocious and speaks so smart for her age. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and that's kind of how the characters talk.
0: Yeah, you know, when I'm thinking about Kevin Smith, I think... His kind of style of doing that too started to grade on me by the time we got to uh, Clerks 2, which I guess is into the odds, so it was even more like, wow. I
1: still haven't seen Clerks 2. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> but and, and also Clerks 3, of course, I haven't seen. Um, and of course he appears in, uh, is it Scream 3?
0: Yeah, I rolled my eyes. I was like, wow, I cannot believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and they were in character as Jay and Silent Bob. It wasn't even right. Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. So I was just like, wow, Right. That's so dated.
1: I did like in five how oh, there was a little callback or reference to um, Dawson's Creek. Oh, yeah. I thought that was... Because I, I was wondering if it would be devoid of such things, even Stab, since it didn't involve Wes Craven or Kevin Williamson, I was wondering if the new directors and writer would like kind of go a different direction. Mm-hmm. But But they kind of kept it in. And also, I didn't even know until I was reading Wikipedia after watching the movie yesterday... I knew Wes Craven didn't do five and six, but I assumed it was because they just didn't ask him back or something. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know it was because he was physically unavailable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's been dead for, oh, it's probably been like five, six years now.
1: I think he died, yeah, in 15. Um, but I didn't know. I just thought they wanted to go a different direction. I assumed he was still alive. <laughs> also, I must get him mixed up with, isn't there like a famous horror director with the last name Carpenter?
0: Yeah, John Carpenter.
1: I must get I must have been getting Wes Craven and John Carpenter mixed up in my head for years because when I was looking at Wes Craven's filmography I expected to see like 35-40 films and I was like surprised how short the list was. And so much because it's a short list it's so dominated by Scream. That's so crazy. I just I thought Wes Anderson was more prolific in terms of number of movies produced. But I guess I was wrong about that.
0: Yeah, he's another one of those low-budget directors that could just never get budgets for years. So he'd always be trying to do projects, and they would always fall through. Mm-hmm. And the few ones that he would get through would just be terribly hampered by low budgets. Mm-hmm. And have you ever seen A uh, New Nightmare? The last of the the uh, Nightmare Elm Street movies he made?
1: Wait, are you, are you, like the last with Freddy or something? I mean, I mean, Robert England?
0: Yeah, with Robert England. Yeah, not technically Freddy, but... Yeah. Was that
1: the one that got really meta?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: I think I saw it, but I, w- I wasn't paying attention or something. Like, I don't know if I was distracted, if I saw it on video. or So I, I saw it, but didn't really see it, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: I, I also throw that on the, the pyre of 90s postmodern bullshit, where it was yeah, it's all about, oh, you know, the, 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 the Freddy franchise has become so polluted and diluted and the fans they don't understand true horror anymore but me the director it's like i'm speaking through this i'm he was like the director was writing the script as the story was happening mm-hmm. like the real story and that was just really just so embarrassing that that's a terrible movie
1: i felt like that concept got positive buzz at the time that the movie came out it did um it did i don't know how you remember this you'd have been like two but um oh i've i've done
0: extensive research on the nightmare elm street franchise that's one of my favorites at least it used to be
1: yeah the whole stab thing as in in parts two and three especially like it was it was cute at first but it was almost like gonna take over like everything i mean like it almost felt like the fake stab meta movie was almost bigger than scream in a way (laughs) like yeah. You know what I mean? Like its presence was becoming domineering.
0: Yeah. Oh it did. It took over. Especially in the third one which is basically Wes Craven remaking New Nightmare in a way.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you it was real funny like you know how in the third one they have they show like the set the stab set of the house um inside the studio. Mhm. Um so I never saw 5 obviously until yesterday. But and this might be one of the reasons why I'm also a little bit non-subjective in liking it because I'm a big fan of the girl who plays the new lead heroine, mm-hmm. Melissa Barrera. In the Heights lady?
0: Yes, yeah. her. Yes.
1: Yes. So I'm already like a massive fan of her. So that, that helps. <laughs> Not going to lie. So I already been following her on social media for ages. So back when they were working on um, Scream 5, um, like she would post like, you know, behind the scenes, like on her Instagram or whatever. So I remember seeing in her thing, like, it was very obviously a house studio for, like, the final stuff in the movie. And it looked, like, exactly like the set of the set in part three. Like, literally, like, in a warehouse, there's, like, the fake house. And she would post videos. And I, you know, I had no intention of watching the movie. But I remember looking at the -the behind-the-scenes, wondering, is that just because, obviously, this is behind-the-scenes or is it meant to look like a set in the movie you know what i mean yeah i wasn't sure if the characters were meant to be on a set or if it was meant to be a real house but now that i've seen the the actual movie i can see oh it's obviously a real house but it's just funny because in real life it looks just like the set in part three like just sitting there like really fake i mean you know what i mean yeah manufactured but uh no it was it was good i liked it um uh, like i said i, I want to see six i'm just not in any hurry but um everyone's lucky who got a piece of jenny ortega before she blew up at, uh, with the wednesday roll yeah because she's like the hottest like in hollywood it seems at the moment hottest in terms of everyone wants to-
0: yeah yeah blowing up her career <laughs> yes
1: it's crazy but whatever
0: and she was on you as well, that the Netflix show. She was good on that before. Yeah, she blew up.
1: I keep hearing about that show. You I have to, or I don't know if I have to, but maybe I'll look into it more at some point.
0: Yeah, I think it's worthwhile. It's not a, it's not a great show. Um,
1: <laughs> let's not, let's not put that tagline on the on the poster.
0: <laughs> well, part of the the thing of that show is it's one of those shows that like reinvents itself every season or so and so some people might like one part of it and then come to the other stuff be like oh this side is definitely not for me and then it comes like this last season basically they reinvented and turned into a murder mystery show and that was highly surprising but i I think i think it worked
1: but it's the same characters it's not anthology
0: one character the lead character kind of moves from place to place okay falls into different situations
1: Okay. Hmm. It sounds weird because I don't even know, like, what it's really about or anything. But we'll see.
0: It is weird. <laughs> it's definitely a weird show, but but I, I think it's, I think it's worthwhile. But it's gonna have to be to willing to go wherever it's gonna take you.
1: Willing to go wherever it's gonna take you. Hmm. Oh, looks like Sean watched some swarm. And looks like maybe the first episode worked out for him.
0: Oh, I've never heard of that show. Swarm.
1: Oh, he mentioned it. Oh, I guess he mentioned it Friday, Um, because he said somebody was trying to watch it, but he wasn't sure, Uh, and he couldn't tell if it was like horror slasher related or not. Um, And if you watch the trailer, it comes across. Oh, I didn't know it was Donald Glover presents. Um, If you watch the trailer, it comes across as like the same type of style, the filming style of Euphoria. Oh. Which I think is like all the rage, like for hot young properties, IPs, like these days. I think that's like Mm -hmm. considered like the hippest, um, whatever. Uh, Like just the presentation. So it comes across like that, except it's a bunch of um, black characters in in Swarm. And I suspect, because I don't know, I I only watched the trailer. I suspect it starts off as like a regular teens doing their thing and then. Something happens, but I don't know what the something is. Like, I'm assuming there's a twist or something. It's on Amazon Prime, I believe.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll take a look. I don't know. I got so many other shows to watch. Yeah. Well, that Yellow Jacket show. I got to catch up on that.
1: I saw the first episode of that. It was okay. It just reminds me of a million other first episodes of Random Things. <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily. It didn't, it didn't really pull me in. It doesn't mean it's bad or not for me. It just. It didn't sell me on one episode, That's all I'm saying.
0: Well, actually, I've seen this swarm. Yeah, I've seen the cover photo of it a lot. But I just didn't pay any attention. I didn't know what it was.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have paid it any mind if, if Sean didn't mention it. Yes, I just... I, I, do, I wonder what else I want to watch. Besi- I mean, current. Besides, obviously, Mandalorian and Picard right now. I don't know what else. I don't know. There'll be something. There's always something. Either new <laughs> or existing that'll catch my attention. Yeah, and I don't know where to go. I don't know where I should direct my personal movie watching either. Now that I, because I, I just went through all the Scream's because I didn't know what else to do and they were just sitting there on on Paramount Plus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I don't know. I don't know where where to turn my direction next for my personal movie watching.
0: Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I just recently finished all the Leprechaun movies, <laughs> and then I jumped right over to Scream right after Leprechaun.
1: <laughs> I suppose I have two more Billy Jack movies to watch, but. I don't know if you are aware of Billy Jack.
0: No, it doesn't sound familiar.
1: Uh, it, it was really popular in the early mid-70s. They're really low-budget movies. The first one was like a really like low-budget, like typical biker movie of the era. Mm-hmm. But the thing that made Billy Jack different was Billy Jack, the character, he's played by a Caucasian guy, but his character is like, like half native american or something even though he's just a white guy in real life i mean but um but billy jack is like this really righteous mixed who likes to keep to himself until bad guys start doing bad things and then billy jack has to like interject but especially with the second movie onward it's all about like the political message of the day. So it was like the, it was it, Billy Jack was like a super woke movie from like the early seventies, but like super woke. Um, and, and they're really, and it's weird because Billy Jack and then his female partner, I'm not sure if they're a couple or not. It's unclear. Um, but his partner, they, they constantly preach like pacifism and and this and that yet billy jack is like as violent as chuck norris and <laughs> it's so weird it'd be it'd be like if chuck norris was playing like a, a peace snake activist but then yet kicks everybody's ass and that's that's billy jack um but the movies are really low budget and some of the and many of the actors are not actors so they're like really bad Mm-hmm. So it, it it almost has the feel of like a porn movie of of the 70s except there's no sex except when there's rapes in the movies. There are rapes for sure. But it's it feels like a porn movie without the porn. Um in production values and stuff. Yeah, it sounds
0: like exploitation.
1: It kind of, it, yeah, it is it is definitely walking the line of mixed race exploitation, mixed native exploitation <laughs> yeah it's it's wild shit and i was watching it for historical purposes um but i feel like they're progressively getting worse and mm. and uh, yeah I don't, I don't know if i can handle the, the third and the fourth one and then there was going to be a fifth one in, in the early 80s but they ran out of money midway and so it was like an unfinished project
0: oh wow we went all the way up to the 80s hmm.
1: well yeah it would have been if, if they had finished it yeah.
0: Oh, oh, so like they were planning like a reboot or something or a continuation?
1: But... Oh no, they they were making like a fifth, like in the series. Oh, okay. A fifth movie in the series. And they were already, they were producing and shooting it, but they ran out of money um, and could, couldn't finish it.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say most uh, waves of exploitation, by the time they got to the late 70s, it was so diluted and even more low budget somehow and yeah, so much of that stuff died in the last few years of the 70s.
1: The next one I'm supposed to watch is Billy Jack Goes to Washington. I don't know if I can handle that. Just based <laughs> just based on the title, I don't know if I can handle that.
0: Yeah, I think there's a charm, fucking hell. So I, I watch a lot of black exploitation, and yeah, they there's no there's no sort of uh, subtlety. It's any message it's shamed right or slammed right in your face all the time.
1: It all yeah, it almost reminds me of watching like a 70s low budget for, like like a machete movie. Like I mean, it's not as bloody and gory, but it just. It just kind of feels like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> like, like, I could be watching anything else. Like, almost anything else on on TCM would be better than this. Like, anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There, there's such a, there's a, a charm to that kind of just, like, crazy filmmaking. People who are not experienced filmmakers, but desperately trying, not just to make a, a cheap film, but to have a message to it.
1: Speaking of desperate, like I was about to say... Fucking Robert Rodriguez, uh, he is. He made El Mariachi his first cheap movie, and then he made Desperado, which was like a remake. Both of them are brilliant in their own ways. But then when you watch shit like Machete, uh, like how or Spy Kids, how the fuck did the guy who made these like, brilliant independent, like shoestring budget movies, then start making like this this schlocky shit? Which is, I don't know. Like, well, he
0: he also had that that brand of postmodernism in him, but I think he took it into the element of being like everyone knows that this is a movie, so I don't have to take it seriously. You know, this isn't a real story. I'm I'm telling. It's just a fun piece of crap movie.
1: Yeah, and then like the faculty was cool. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah, that was that was alright. It, it was like a like a it was it was like a refreshing horrorish movie at the time.
0: Yeah, that was the turnaround time, late '90s, '98, like '98 98, 98 on. Finally, started putting out good horror again.
1: And I actually am okay with some parts of Planet Terror. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, not some parts. I actually like the movie. Actually, me too. Um, but Machete is not Planet Terror. It is so not. No, it's
0: garbage, garbage.
1: <laughs> and then it has a sequel. Oh shit! But what? Well, anyway, whatever, whatever.
0: I remember. I remember. Once upon a time, in Mexico being good as well. I haven't seen it in many years.
1: It, it was. It was. It was a mixture because um, it had some of the good elements of Desperado, but Desperado was better. Desperado was so much better.
0: Yeah, I remember it got silly in the end with like the blind Johnny Depp wandering around. Yeah, like still being like a perfect shot, even though he's blind. I remember that being like, "What the fuck?"
1: But one thing I recall personally about Once Upon a Time in Mexico was when I saw the movie. When it you know at the theater, and I remember it kind of culminates in like this battle between the army and like the locals or whatever, whatever you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember at the time thinking this is insane. Like, how could there be this like militant like war on on the city streets? This is before I realized that it is such a real thing in Mexico now. Um, Mm. But at the time, it struck me as unbelievable. I had no idea that it is. It is the way it is, oftentimes, in uh, Mexico and other Latin American countries. So, turns out, I was wrong. <laughs> it's totally believable.
0: And I keep meaning to go back to that. I own it on uh, UMD, and I've never seen it since the PSP days.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. wow. Uh, Once Upon a Time?
0: Yeah, Once Upon a Time, Mexico, yeah.
1: What I really want to go back to, uh, which it's been 20 years, I really want to go back to the um, the Man With No Name trilogy.
0: Wow, twenty years! Wow, that's a long time.
1: Yeah, because I I had the set on DVD and and I watched those kids. I watched I watched Good and Bad the Ugly growing up, and then I saw the first two um, when I was like in late high school, early college age, and I loved them. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really revisited them like in twenty years. Um, I want to go through, and and they're all available on UHD now, of course. Yeah, none. Of, they don't have HDR any of them. They're just or just 4K, but whatever.
0: Did you see uh, Once Upon a Time in, in the West?
1: No, and I tried to watch it two different times on Netflix, and both times I got in about 10 minutes of, of, of blowing wind and tumbleweeds and dust, <laughs> and then I was like, I'm good. And I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. So, I yeah, I need to watch that too, but i would never, never gotten past 10 minutes.
0: Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, man, that one is just great if you can get past 10 (laughs) minutes and I love Charles Bronson. That's one of the best. Yeah. I
1: have, I I have heard so many positive things. I've heard people who say that's their favorite. Actually, if you consider it a four person, it's mine. Um, So you're one of them. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I want to, it's just, I do want to get them on 4k. It's just they're still, each one is over $20. um, And they're not in like a box set. They're just individuals. It's like annoying
0: yeah, and even that kind of forgotten one, uh, Duck You Sucker. That's another really fun one that
1: I don't know that one.
0: That's uh that was the last of the only Westerns. But yeah, that that one also I feel like doesn't get the praise it deserves. That's that's a lot of fun.
1: I never even heard of that one. At all. Oh really? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah.
0: There you go for rate right, rate right example of not getting the praise it deserves. <laughs> it's a more silly one. It's more of a has more of a comedy bent to it.
1: carl's just fucking incredible he's on fire right now that guy's oh yeah he's on i'm telling you i I was like so damn impressed by the most recent ones again he's on his a game and it's funny you wouldn't think he's the same guy necessarily who was talking shit about Picard season two
0: (laughs) well i mean that's you know I, i was thinking about that when i was watching this i was like you know this is a testament that we're not uh just bias people who like hate all this stuff because you know this if they turned around and give us good stuff i'm i'm 100 there for it (laughs) and i hated those other seasons of picard i just i couldn't believe that i had to watch them for the podcast i just oh it was just just a nightmare those (laughs) those episodes
1: oh
0: man and i'll say uh i still get triggered when i see rafi i just i get an an instinct to want to like pull away like oh no Get her off the screen.
1: Well, yeah, you can sh- you can share it because every every time I mentioned her in the two episodes we did last night, every time Raffy came up, I always had to start with, I apologize in advance. I don't want to make it seem like I'm just <laughs> dumping on this character. But anyway, every single time I've had put a disclaimer <laughs> before I speak about her.
0: And I feel bad for the actress. She just, all the worst stuff they just put on her in every season.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize who her husband was. Oh, I don't know um i don't i don't know the guy's name but he was like uh when i used to watch fear the walking dead um they sort of like did like a a soft reboot of the show like was season three or four and when they did this soft reboot i think they dramatically improved the show overall and they brought in a whole bunch of new characters and her husband was he played like this cowboy character and I get him. I used to get him mixed up with the actor who plays the gunslinger in Mandalorian. Oh yeah, you know the, the guy who's in Scream three, yeah um, or two. Yeah. I get her husband mixed up with that actor because both of them could play Western roles. Like, <laughs> like they have like a similar like uh, physique and whatnot. Like they're just they were bred to play gunslingers. So, but anyway, you, you can look it up. I don't know his name, but you'd recognize his face, though, if you saw his face, her husband. I was just like, oh, okay, there you go.
0: Yeah, and you know, I didn't think about it because that that Mandalorian guy. He had that Justified series, and he was on Deadwood. Yes. He used to do a lot of Western stuff.
1: Yes, and yeah, I was pretty, even though I had seen Scream 2, it would have been a million years. Yeah. So when I saw him, I was like, holy shit, god damn, everybody was in that movie. It was insane. It was a weird time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's just crazy that... And everyone wanted to work with them. Everyone loved Wes Craven. Wes Craven, I, rest his soul, I mean, he was a hack. I mean, he had a couple spots where he was like a big needle mover, but the rest of his career is just filled with trash.
1: Well, I was wondering how much of 4 was him, because it felt so much... Well, even the first one, too, the first Scream, like the good ones. I wonder how much <laughs> of it is him, because... Because the first one and then even in the fourth one, they felt kind of grounded. Mm-hmm. So, or maybe his handlers took over in two and three. Like, I don't know, because two and three just feel like kind of like sellout movies.
0: They they were. <laughs> the second one was rushed into production. It came out less than a year after the first one came right, out.
1: Right, right.
0: Then the third one, Kevin Williamson, I think just pulled out. He was like, I'm done with this franchise and that one was really rushed to the time they finally got off the ground
1: according to wikipedia he was busy on the third one yeah that's <laughs> what he I claims know, i don't know the truth <laughs> um and then speaking of i was very surprised scream six came out right away yeah um i thought like other things oh two or three years but right away
0: yeah i was very surprised
1: but hey, I mean, maybe that was the plan all along. And so they already had stuff ready. Like, I don't know. It
0: does seem like it. The tendrils of a, a trilogy were definitely there. So, but I guess we'll see.
1: But I'm glad Melissa Barretta, because I've been a fan of her because of the series, um, Fuck Vita, uh, that was on Amazon, I think. And so I was, I was like, man, this girl, she's, she's breakout. But it seemed like everything she did besides Vita seemed like it was cursed um and like just in 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 reception uh so i was i was kind of thinking that scream 5 was going to be another cursed um, melissa but at her production i mean not production but you know what i mean uh and but no i think i think finally she got one that's that's stuck um that like that like she's gonna so, so now she has more chance to blow up uh but whatever Yeah, I did watch an interesting YouTube video earlier today about um, the sixteen by nine ratio and HD clarity is really bad in general for sitcoms, or was really bad for sitcoms. Um, and like and how sitcoms just work so much better in the four by three SD format. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, they, they, they made some valid points. Uh, I, you know, and, and and like they said that it's not. It's not a strict rule, there are exceptions, you know, going both ways but but um yeah yeah they but they brought some good points um the, the the condensed version of some of their argument was you know sitcom as 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 a genre or whatever of television um you know it was it was sprung from radio drama sitcoms you know before television and and because we all got bad reception um, historically on television and because television screens were square and relatively small, um, traditional sitcoms were shot in such a way that you kind of would zoom in on characters a lot um, and have them like fill up the frame. Uh, And like the the sets were like shoddy, like in a dark, like they weren't, they weren't going for realism. Um, but but they worked because again, small screen, SD, like you had to keep things simple. Otherwise, like if you had fine details, they wouldn't even translate. You know, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even see those kinds of things on a small television with, with like static. So everything had to be like real clean, simple, close up, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And 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 they were saying that it just worked better for the comedy because the comedy, or the sitcoms because it, it dealt with the characters really. Like sitcoms were about people talking and it was more the content of what they were saying and how they're interacting more than it was about anything else. And that when it just doesn't translate usually to HD uh, 16 by 9 because now you have all the real estate and it just, it's, it's like for a sitcom specifically, like what are you supposed to do? With all that, um, and they were saying, "Oh, there's yeah, there's some shows that nope that figured something out, like The Office, doing like the mockumentary style and stuff, but that generally for traditional sitcoms, multi-camera, it just it doesn't behoove it. But whatever, it was an interesting. video. I, I don't know. I love stuff that that gets into um, um, aspect ratios for something. I don't know why I get so into that subject. I don't know why it's so interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I generally am interested in it too, but I just pay so little attention to sitcoms. I Some of that sounds like holding on to the old days, but cause I feel like we wouldn't have as shitty, uh, unless they were just talking about remastering older sitcoms, So I feel like they probably put more budget into the sets these days, but, but I don't know, I don't watch them. Maybe they're still just as bad.
1: Wait, which ones?
0: Uh, modern sitcoms with the, the set buildings and things.
1: Oh yeah I mean it's it's definitely better, but yet at the same time, yeah, you know it's a sitcom uh, at, at the same time.
0: Cheap crap sets, cheap actors, cheap jokes that's the uh, in a laugh track to remind you that's funny. That's my uh, prevailing memory of sitcoms.
1: Yeah, I love whenever I see a, a European or British YouTube reactor and and they like see an American sitcom or something with the laugh track it always throws them off and I always think it's funny. Like, like we Americans, we're just, or of my age, we're just used to it. I mean, yeah, I used to think it was weird when I was young. Actually, the whole laugh track thing, but I get it. I mean, now as an adult, and it, it just is what it is. It's its own thing.
0: Yeah, when it's uh, like actual recorded in studio, that makes sense. It makes sense that was the origin. When it's this inserted, very obviously fake, like Two and a Half Men is what I always think of. Just a terrible sitcom. The fake laugh track that just that was an embarrassing show, I thought.
1: Yeah, and the Flintstones, those are real animated audiences that were uh, laughing in the background.
0: Um, <laughs> oh
1: no, <laughs> no, you just reminded me of something on on I, I, a really super cool feature on the um Planet Terror Blu ray. There's um, there's an, an alternate audio track on the Blu ray where you can listen to the recorded audio reaction uh, when they showed it. At the Alamo Draft House in Austin. Oh, yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you've heard it? Or
0: you've, like. I've listened to some of it. I haven't listened all the way through.
1: I only did it <laughs> once years ago, but I thought it was fantastic because it, it kind of did make me feel like I was having the communal experience of being at the theater.
0: Yeah, you saying that reminded me that I that I own the Grindhouse Steelbook. I hadn't even. I completely forgot that I own this until you just said it. <laughs> I just picked it up.
1: I have the Grindhouse, um, the Blu-ray version that that has it like all is uh, like edited as one movie.
0: Yeah, that's this this one. Yeah,
1: and I've only I don't even, I've never watched it even all the way through once, and for the reason I don't like it, but I, I you know I should revisit it sometimes um, is because you know both movies are a little bit shorter. Yeah. When they're together, and I'm so used to the extended versions. The, the, the shorter versions feel like really strange to me. And that's the reason why like I had trouble enjoying it.
0: I actually think the Death Proof uh, Grindhouse version, the shorter version, is much better. Because it it's way over long and self-indulgent in the uh, director's cut. The Grindhouse version is nice and lean. I, I think the uh, Planet Terror works a little bit better in the, the longer version, but not Death Proof.
1: Interesting. I freaking love Death Proof. I, I, God, I think it's such an underrated movie. In general,
0: I like it a lot too, but I definitely think it's sharper, a little bit shorter. Although, I think we lose the uh, lap dance, and that's a shame because that's a great moment.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, that was like the gag that it was like the lost B reel because I think Tarantino yeah. said, like in the special features, like it's the kind of thing in the 70s where like the projectionist or someone would steal like the good part of the movie and just like splice it out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, did you see what's going on with uh, Kathleen Kennedy right now?
1: No, but I've been waiting for the next shoe to drop. Did she get extended?
0: They said that, uh, at least the rumors currently are that Disney came down on, they were on her head, they were like, if you don't put out a new Star Wars film by 2025, then you're gonna be out. Which, by the way, like, fuck Disney, I mean, I feel like they were one of the reasons that the, I mean, everyone blames Kathleen Kennedy, but I think Disney had just as much of a hand in wrecking the, uh, the sequel trilogy as much as she did so
1: they had a hand but i as far as i can suss out though she was most responsible individually even though well even though there was co-conspirators and other things
0: like i found out i i was always one of the people complaining like why didn't they have a plan going in but it seems like one of the reasons they didn't have a plan going in is because Disney was coming in and just demanding release dates be moving up faster and faster. And so it's kind of like in the early development of The Force Awakens they thought they were going to have a lot more time and then Disney showed up and was like, this is the date and you got to stick to it. So they scramble to get that out.
1: And I'm sure Disney did put that fire under them and those deadlines. At the same time though, at least an outline mm-hmm. or at least once you're finished making The Force Awakens J.J. Abrams Say by the way, this is where I'm going with some of my mystery boxes that I've set up. Mm-hmm. Um, at least you know you don't have to have like an entire script cooked already for the sequel, but like just something. But then it was it was even the opposite of that. It wasn't even just we don't we're not leaving you notes. We're hiring a guy and allowing him to completely go in his own unique direction.
0: Yep. No, that was a huge mistake. <laughs> terrible mistake
1: and i saw something um and i'm another like i don't know if it's a theory video or what it was that i watched on the last jedi just the other day according to that video based upon statements that ryan johnson made you know after the movie and whatnot according to like some interviews that he did he said like outright when i had a chance to do my star wars movie i wanted to end it all like
0: yeah, uh.
1: <laughs> like I he wanted to write it so it was like a like a dead end like like he that he wrote the last Jedi to be like the end mm-hmm. of a series rather than a middle episode. What the fuck, even? That's insane.
0: Oh, the guy's complete. Yeah, egomaniac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's complete. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of fuck ups.
1: I see this rumor about the Kathleen Kennedy thing, but I'm like, fuck that. Just fire her. Well,
0: I mean, I think she's I think she's turned it around with a lot of this this stuff that she's put out.
1: Oh, what are you talking about?
0: I think switching to
1: Are you talking about Mandalorian and and a Mandalorian and Andor or or what are you talking about?
0: I think switching the focus to TV cuz Disney all this time has been pressuring her to go back to movies, but she's been mainly shifting a lot of the energy towards TV. I think that's been really good for Star Wars. So I think for the movies, I mean, I think they were a dead end after the original trilogy. I
1: think it's good. I think it was good to step into TV and expand, but not to make it the focus. And especially if you want to go then to a, um, a board member's point of view, everything's been terrible because even though the last couple movies, and I'm including Solo in that, um, or to last, even one of the last couple movies didn't perform as well as they would have liked, at least overall, they actually made money from the Disney-produced Star Wars movies. With all the television stuff, even though some of it is well-received, they're at negative loss on cost to produce versus... Re- they have zero returns. They actually have negative returns <laughs> on all the television stuff. So, regardless of what you think is good for the franchise or not, from a storytelling point of view, from a shareholder's point of view, at least one made money. The other one has been complete net zero or negative zero, negative zero, negative. Uh, so, I mean, heck yeah, you jump out of your pants if you're a business suit kind of person.
0: Yeah. So they're once again back to giving their deadlines. It comes out December 2025, or you're out. In the, the, I think also in what I was reading, it was included. No matter what, that's what they're putting out a Star Wars movie at that point. So I mean what that they're gonna fire her if it's not in development soon enough and then rush out another movie. Like Yeah. I mean it's I'm definitely nervous about that movie, whatever it's gonna turn out to be.
1: I see these headlines. I hope they're just with a grain of salt just because Yeah, exactly. No, well, for the reason being that I don't like this idea of giving her another chance. I feel like she's already had many, multiple chances and she's never shown very many signs of ever changing anything.
0: Well, I I don't necessarily know what you mean, but <laughs> I'm never changing anything. I feel like
1: meaning whatever she's whatever she's done as it pertains to Lucasfilm, she's always stayed the course of whatever her management decisions or style is. She's never really changed her ways, so I don't see so that I I don't see how there could be improvement because she's she's been consistently her, is what I'm saying, and she's never had a reason truly to be not her. Self, because whatever good or bad has been happening to Star Wars, she's just been allowed, as far as I can tell, on the outside, just allowed to stay in her position, and it's infuriating. And then switching over to Trek, as it pertains to all this same kind of subject, according to the dark web, and and to why it explains why Picard season three is is considerably better than the first two seasons, according to the dark web. Um, even though Terry Metalis was working on season two of Picard, um, it was still Alex Kurtzman who was calling Kurtzman who was calling the shots for seasons one and two. Yep. And supposedly Paramount was like so annoyed that they told Kurtzman that you're not allowed to touch season three. We're gonna let Terry Metalis be sure. the executive producer and let him take over the reins. And then. Now there's been this like incredible positive reception to the third season. Um, that supposed a week ago, Dark Web was saying um, Paramount wants to basically make Metallus like the new, like show not showrunner but um, like Paramount Star Trek. Um,
0: yeah creative director or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, something that's like oversee or whatever. Like of all the. Star Trek television projects. Yeah. Um, and and they wanted to do that, and that they were trying to cut ties with Kurtzman, and that they didn't want to sign on with his production company. Like, they wanted to end their re- business relationship with Kurtzman, and that they were only going to put out the Kurtzman things that were already essentially in the can or already done right now, and then kind of sever ties with him, and then just go with Metallus going forward. Um, That was a week ago, but breaking news on the dark web, supposedly um, because of the contracts and everything, there's no way they can continue with Metallus and this whole grand scheme um, because of the rights involved. They wouldn't have access to a lot of all this stuff that basically through contracts, is, is still tied to Kurtzman himself. so, oh, wow. so Oh, the other new rumor in the dark web is that that CBS or, or Paramount plus whatever, and Terry Metallis have this idea of now to continue, like after Picard season 3, to do a show that's, they want to call it Star Trek Legacy. And it would be a continuation of like the bridge crew from the Titan or something like that. Um, like mm-hmm. the ongoing adventures of like, uh, what was her name? Sydney. Yeah. Um, like, like, um, like it would be like the ongoing adventures of like the younger cast members of Picard season three. And they want to call it Star Trek legacy and continue like in that timeline in that story, whatever. Um, but supposedly they can't do that or stay in that world without re-signing like a new contract with Kurtzman. Um, So the rumor is that Paramount is going to re-sign with Kurtzman because otherwise they'd lose a lot of the rights to a lot of intellectual property that was created under his stewardship.
0: Wow, that's weird. Is my understanding.
1: Mm. Supposedly, yeah, supposedly if they did cut ties with Kurtzman, they would lose access to a lot of all these properties currently. And they would have to like restart from scratch or something, without having a relationship with him. That's what the dark web is saying. Who knows? Maybe if the damn Indiana Jones movie completely flames out, maybe that'll do her in. Well, I don't get this because
0: uh, I mean, again, a lot of people blame her for the creative direction of the this era, but she's not that person. She's not a she's not a writer. She's no 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 no.
1: No, no, no. No, you're correct about that, but that's that you're right about that. But the reason people credit her so much for the badness is because she's been steering the ship or the agenda, I should say. Like, agenda of oh boy, the agenda within Lucasfilm of who we should be hiring in terms of directors or writers. And I want this kind of stuff, like,
0: like hiring John Boyega, Daisy Ridley.
1: Or, well, I want a new, diverse cast. I want to focus, as it pertains to the sequels, yes, let's create new characters with young actors who are diverse. Let's phase out the legacy characters.
0: Good choices.
1: <laughs> Could be. Um, but but then, like I said, when it comes to hiring writers, um, I don't want any returning writers who have worked in Star Wars or science fiction um, I want people who are like young and fresh writers, also diverse, of course.
0: But did she do that? I don't think that's what happened. I mean, I don't think that was her agenda at all.
1: <laughs> I don't, I can't confirm it. That's that's the story around the campfire.
0: Well, it sounds like it's not based on facts. <laughs> but
1: I think I think it's. But I think it's no. But I think there is no. She didn't do it with all the different series. Like for instance, in other words, she didn't have that control when it came to Mandalorian. Um, specifically, and and she didn't have that control when it came to Andor specifically, but supposedly with um, the, the acolyte, supposedly like with that one, um, of course that hasn't come out yet. Yeah, um, that's supposed to be one that she had a lot more direct control in, and you know made those types of decisions. And I would suspect um, Kenobi is like that as well. <laughs> I can't confirm that. that's, that's a hunch of mine. So
0: don't credit her for the good stuff. Credit her for the bad one, and the one that hasn't come out.
1: <laughs> no, that's just what happened. No, and the reason why I suspect no, no, but it's no, but you're, you're putting like the egg before the chicken that it hatched out of. Um, I just think it's it's I, not that I'm credit it's not that I'm crediting her for the bad stuff. What actually happened? The reason the good stuff was good was because she wasn't involved in it. Um, that's what allowed those things to have a chance. And then to add insult to injury, when Mandalorian was doing really well, Kennedy's going around taking credit for it when she didn't really have that much creative involvement in the first place.
0: But I don't think she has much creative involvement in terms of the... I'm sure she's on set for all these shows. She's the one producing it. She's the one securing the finances, dealing with the... uh, hiring the people to create them. She's not the one writing the scripts.
1: No, no, absolutely not. But again, if you're choosing the writers and telling them what you want to write about... Then you do have a strong effect on whatever the final product is.
0: But I don't think she's doing that. I mean, even I think she's.
1: I think she did it with the movies, not maybe not solo and Rogue One per se, but certainly the sequels. Um,
0: uh, no, she she's a part of the developing. That's what a producer does. Yes, yes, yes. She's and not I, the one deciding the the plot directions. She just lays down the groundwork with the with the creators that she hires. No, not
1: the not the not the plot work in terms of like. The particulars, the in and outs, but like, like I said, like, again, when you make the marching orders of let's focus on young, fresh characters and dismiss the old, the story could be whatever the story could be, you know. Smart but just choice. Quit- <laughs> she should have never
0: brought them back in the first place. In my opinion, it was. I think just hanging onto the old, like Star Wars, has always done. What they should have done is just completely move past the old cast. In my opinion,
1: if you want to make non- non-episode. Star Wars movies, then by all means, I say do that. But if you're going to make it, you know, episode seven, eight, nine, whatever, I really think the way to go is to do something like the Cobra Kai series, the Top Gun Maverick movie. Uh, the cast is too old. They don't have to be, like, the center of everything. And, again, with Maverick, yeah, there's, like, two older characters who are returning. That's it, too. And and they don't – and, of course, Tom Cruise has a lot to do in the movie. That's just one person you tell me that's too much
0: no that that's different he's the lead tom cruise is still a an actor who can hold a franchise himself we're talking about old folks who are you know they're they're not there to 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 work full time do these gigs I, i don't know what the benefit was of bringing them back and i don't think almost any of these legacy sequels i don't know what value bringing the people back really brings to them i mean go down the list almost all of them i think have failed in that regard,
1: are you are you just talking Star Wars, or, or are you talking about something else?
0: I'm talking about the whole movement of having these uh, come back years later, bring back the old actors, and try to tell a new story with the younger cast by bringing them back.
1: Um, again, I think I think Cobra Kai did it excellently. I did Maverick did it excellently, and oh, what's the other that,
0: one? I don't think that one counts. I don't think because that was still his movie. It wasn't the younger people's movie.
1: No, but but it's it's not just the legacy characters though, it's also how they they respectfully or not respectfully, but um but how they they created good new characters is what I'm saying like for Maverick because there's so many other series that do it poorly where they try to create the new characters and you don't give a shit about them. Um but but they were fine in Maverick and, and also many of the new characters in Cobra Kai. And I would even say Scream Five I would say yeah. they called a requel, you know, within yeah. the movie. And I think it's a good term, actually. And I think, like, The Force Awakens was a really good requel, to be honest.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if you look at my list on Letterboxd, I rank all the Star Wars movies. And I have um, The Force Awakens still ranked as my all-time second favorite Star Wars movie. Oh, wow. And that's just in terms of, like, my personal enjoyment or whatever when I watch it.
0: Yeah, I think they can be fine for a first installment, but I, especially going forward, I mean, I'm thinking of things like the new Halloween movies. I think that the legacy element really holds those movies back dramatically. Uh, The Jurassic World movies, I think, have that exact problem. I mean, Dominion, it felt like completely two different movies and they just forced them together at the end.
1: Well, it was just a bad movie, bad story, and then way too many characters and what to do with them. It's like a whole conflux of bad things going on there. Yep. It was almost like the uh the end of the 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 end of time. Was that the last tenant episode?
0: Oh god. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Um I I guess if uh I mean I would throw in a little bit of the Abrams movies too. I feel like they also constantly have to bring back Old Spock even if it doesn't at least in those first two they did. I just didn't like that. The
1: first one was awesome, the first movie just, just, just checking in with him was fine in that terrible movie. Yeah. Um. And then of course, just, to, just to have him like, on the screen in the third movie, that was, that was poignant.
0: I don't know if you watched the recent uh, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Afterlife.
1: Yeah, I did about a year ago.
0: I found I liked that movie until the old Ghostbusters showed up in the end, and then it was just, I just thought it was so eye rolling.
1: I had a little bit different situation. I. I was enjoying the movie just fine. Certainly a step up from Ghostbusters, the requel, uh, wow. the, the 2015 abomination. Um,
0: I don't think that'd be, I think that'd be like a straight remake.
1: Uh, oh, you're right. You're correct. You're correct. Actually, the new one is probably the requel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, anyway. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, I was fine with the movie and I was really enjoying it because it had like a, it, it had that Stranger Things 80s nostalgia, even though it's not set in the 80s. Just stylistically, it felt it felt so much like an 80s Goonies movie or something like that. And oh, what was it that happened recently? Um, I had the same feeling, but to a lesser degree, as I had watching the latest Spider-Man movie. Where, except, except with the Spider-Man movie, I was pretty sure they were going to bring back the two original spider-man um and so i was just kind of waiting for the moment and, but i didn't i watched i watched the ghostbusters movie only a year ago so it had already been out for at least two years or something mm-hmm. and i never really read much into spoilers or anything so i was going in pretty fresh not knowing what to expect at all and so as the movie was playing out i was like are they maybe gonna get like Maybe Dan Aykroyd. Like, I was thinking just just Dan Aykroyd is going to show up or something at some point. Or have a little cameo. Um, and then as it got near the climax, then I started to get that feeling. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I think, I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it. Are they going to do it? I don't think they're going to do it. Are they going to do it? So then they did it. And I was just like, oh, shit. Like, I, I wasn't expecting it. And I certainly wasn't expecting, like, Bill Murray... Especially and the other one, I can't think of his name. Sorry.
0: Yeah, Ernie Hudson.
1: Yeah, I I really wasn't expecting those. I thought maybe Dakord would show his face and that would be it. But to get the three remaining, it oh man, see nice because then when they when they were trying to help Egon and then Uh, I mean this is such fan service or whatever you want to call it. Yes. But when Ghost Egon, man, you're too young, Caleb. That is your that is the one. This is the one um, fault in your game? Is that you're too young
0: for lazy, just reaching for the heartstrings, but cheap nostalgia thrills. Yep. I mean, this stuff is just
1: you're you're too young to appreciate these things because your brain hasn't activated that that part of your brain has not yet been activated. You're like data, like you're like ninety eight percent ninety eight percent human thinking, but you still don't have that two percent.
0: Yeah, they can't trick me with their lazy writing quite yet.
1: And so the movie, as perfunctory as it is, it made me tear up at that scene. It made me tear up.
0: And that's the goal of the requel. Uh, did
1: yeah. they earn it? I don't know. But it made me tear up. <laughs> so what else can I say?
0: And that's what they try to do. They try to, They try to feed on nostalgia to get past these relatively... Relatively lazily written. I don't know if I want to see lazy. That that just seems mean. I'm sure they put their work in, but it's their way to pass off this stuff that just feels like it's feeding on on the past. It's it's not creating something new, and that is the Kathleen Kennedy brand of Star Wars. Almost everything she's done has been that, but everything Lucas did was that as well after the original trilogy. So she's just doing the same thing. You
1: no, know, see my thing on how you sh- how you should have approached something like. The, 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 the sequel trilogy is pretend, I know it doesn't make any sense, but pretend the prequels were produced first, or at least the story on paper. Pretend that was produced first and, and you saw those movies and you took them in and you go, okay, oof. So, so then so then pretend that the original trilogy was then written afterwards chronologically and then produced. And see that's how it should work. Like we're all in this Coruscant world, Naboo world, in the first trilogy for the most part. Now for the sequels, let's take it somewhere else. Let's take it somewhere, or let's go to that place, Tatooine. Maybe explore a little bit more, a different side of it at the start that we haven't seen before, and then let's continue the story. And 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 because so much time has passed, you know, the aesthetic is so different now you know, with with the vehicles and stuff, and now we're learning about all these other outer rim areas that we never touched upon in the original um, trilogy. So, if you could somehow transpose that to then when you make a third trilogy, that's what you should do, is, um, is make it as different to the original trilogy as the original trilogy was different to the prequel trilogy, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, but the prequel trilogy relied so heavily on nostalgia too going back to places we've seen before it was all characters that we've seen before basically
1: well, yes it did retroactively you're you're right but but again like most of the characters from the prequels do not carry over to the original trilogy but there are some obviously um but even when they show up they may not have as big a role like 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 we do see Mamothma, mothma we do see i know she was in the original trilogy but she's in the original. Shows that take place during the tri- uh, prequel era, but anyway, um, so you see Mamothma, you see Lando from the solo movie, um, you see Yoda, but they're not—they're not that prevalent like throughout the entire trilogy. Um, they kind of just make their appearances. Um, Palpatine, Emperor, you barely see him to the third movie. You know, so so even though there are recurring characters, they're not, like, dominating, for the most part.
0: Yeah, but that that's also what makes them so thin, is it's, they're taking this this tiny part of the original trilogy and making it the whole story, and it doesn't justify the the focus or the length. But either way, my, my, my only point is, I feel like Star Wars has been stuck in a nostalgia train ever since the prequels, and it's never gotten out of it. I don't think uh, it's
1: been in a nostalgia train for the most part. Um, I mean, even with the Clone Wars animated series, um, but certainly Andor broke out of that.
0: Yeah, and then, and I give uh, Kathleen Kennedy credit for, for that as well. I don't. I mean, one for greenlighting the uh, the movie in the first place. It was she was looking for movies separate after the uh, or set before the original trilogy, but still in that timeline. And then it was uh, was it John Knoll? She brought him in, and he was the one who had the idea for that. And then to see the potential in greenlighting a series, I didn't see any potential in that, but she did, and ended up working out. So I don't, I don't so again. I, she's not a writer; she's a producer. She doesn't. I don't
1: give, I don't give her credit for that stuff, just because because. So who do you give credit for then? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, I don't give her that much credit just for greenlighting those projects, because because again, I, I'm telling you, she has worked more hand in hand with other things of this disney era and and been pretty hands off with other things so with and or the series i don't think she really had that much like creative involvement which is why i don't give her that much credit for that um but i do think she had more creative involvement in some of the other stuff um during the disney tenure
0: especially the sequel movies. Do you think she's writing scripts or do you think she's hiring people? that That's what I mean by creative involvement. I don't quite get what you mean. No,
1: no, 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 I don't know. No, no, no. I'm talking about more like, I was going to say like Lucas, but not that much. That's, that's no, more. Definitely not. <laughs> no, but um, it's like, like having favorite children and being more involved in your favorite children's lives and less involved um, with with your lesser children. No, no that's, uh, it's, it's not a that's... it's not a perfect metaphor, but I'm just I don't know how else to explain it.
0: I can explain it. Go ahead. A producer, a producer who knows who they're hiring knows that they have a track record to get something done. Can have more of a hands off approach because that's already a proven, a provenly reliable. Kind of avenue of producing your product. So bringing in someone like uh, John Favreau and uh, Dave Filoni, now, those are pretty proven folks who can they can kind of sit in their corner and and do their stuff on their own. Maybe for someone like the people who made uh, Kenobi, yeah, she's taking a risk hiring some new blood. Maybe she needs a little bit more involvement there, just to oversee, make sure that they they know what they're doing. I don't know about the guy who made Andor. I don't know what that guy's done. But.
1: So, here's, so here's the deal. Besides um, Filoni and Favro, again, it seems clear that she had this doctrine of, I want new, fresh writers who are not, like, entrenched in Star Wars. like Because only Favreau – well, Favreau didn't really write yeah, Star Wars. Only Filoni. But Filoni did, certainly did. Um, and and so just the idea of having that doctrine seems like a bad idea it it is it, mm. it makes no sense that and, and again andor has no business being as good as it is that was a fluke and it was a fluke because again um what's his name is it tony sheridan yeah sounds right or, or is that the former beatle um it makes no sense how good that movie is um for well except for a little bit because again, he was not a Star Wars guy. He wasn't like all up into the lore. But the thing is, even though he wasn't a Star Wars guy, and even though he had this u- unique vision for or concept for the Andor series, which turned out to work out amazingly, um, at least it seems like he had to have people who he trusted who helped him get it right as far as like the continuity and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, so he definitely did that as opposed to the writing crew on Kenobi where you had this writer in the Vogue interview who was like, yeah, you know, we were working on this show. And at a certain point, I was like, does, does um, does Obi-Wan Kenobi know who Darth Vader is? <laughs> like, how could you have a writer on the show who, who doesn't know that and then has to go like, go figure it out and like ask the people.
0: I don't think those, I mean, that is, that is a terrible thing to say. And that shows some, (laughs) some just poor thought on that writer's part, but that doesn't mean that they're not a good writer. If they got a proven track record, which I don't know about that. writer.
1: But writer for star Wars though. It's not, you're not writing for Gilmore girls. Like this is like, and also star Wars. And it's a show that only has six episodes. It's not like one of those like factory mill type of shows that have 26 episodes per season. So it should be like very like, so it's it's to me it's a complete fluke that um, that the Endor series did what it did, and even Rogue One because remember, like it was in disarray during production, and they completely um, remade the final act of the movie. So again, it's 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 surprising that that movie turned out to be pretty darn good, ultimately. And again, I think those 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 movies had a chance to breathe, despite their issues. Solo and Rogue One, because I think Kennedy was certainly more focused on the the sequel proper movies. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, man. It's her. It's her. It's her. It's, her. it's just. It, the only reason there's any good new Star Wars is because of Flony Favreau and Sheridan, and it was those guys were established. Flony was established, but Sheridan was just fucking dumb luck. I'm telling you, I will die on that hill. On the things I have already said multiple times on, on the Star Wars stuff.
0: Yeah, we'll discuss it further another day. Because yeah, yeah, I, I feel like I've I feel like I was also on the completely hating on her and blaming her for all this stuff. But now I think she's turned it around.
1: I I I disagree. She she's not exactly the same, but I want her gone as much as I want Curseman gone from Star Trek. Even though it's there's differences. There's yeah. differences. But I still want them both gone. definitely not the same.
0: Yeah, and just to, just to tag on, I will say, I think it's incredib- incredibly healthy for any franchise to stop holding on to the past and stop bringing people who've worked in the same franchise for years. Like, I think it's just terrible that Doctor Who can't move away from the, this same crowd from the, from the RTD era.
1: I mean, I am curious what Outsider could do really good in Doctor I mean, I'm sure they exist, I don't know how you find them. Who those people could be?
0: You find someone who has a, a good track record. Like I don't
1: know how you could, I don't know how you could find a Tony Sheridan like to take over Doctor Who.
0: See, because I don't want these fanboys who are so steeped in the lore, but at the same time steeped in their particular version of the lore. Bring in someone who's never worked on Doctor Who. Maybe someone who doesn't even have all that much interest in the program. See what they can do. That's what they did in the classic series. They would just bring on just writers who had success in other fields of television and that worked out great for them what they've done with Doctor Who is just hang out in their same fanboy in fact it was a writers club that all became friends during the Virgin New Adventures they just kept hiring their pals and they all have this same bizarre take of Doctor Who I think they just (laughs) killed that show in my opinion
1: (laughs) that's so funny I mean your relationship (laughs) with New Who is so funny That's another weird thing, is is watching some movies and not really remembering hardly anything about them.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get that all the time. I'm, it's my, uh, I don't know. I watch movies drunk all the time, so like three days later, I'm like, wait, did I? What did I watch again?
1: Yeah. Well, that's different, but yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, which by the way, I watched this this crazy movie the other day called uh, "Storm Warning," on uh, TCM. It's about the KKK. You ever heard of it?
1: No, I have not.
0: Yeah, I think it was shot in, like, 49. It was about the KKK going to trial for this this murder that they did. And they didn't once mention that the KKK had any sort of racist ties. There's no black characters in the movie. They just framed them as this gang who was doing money laundering. And I was like, why even make a, a movie about the KKK if you're not allowed to mention the racist aspect?
1: Cool. Well... That's kind of like, well, that's kind of like, um, Gone with the Wind. Uh, yeah. No, because it, cause in Gone with the Wind, it was in the novel, but they specifically, t- if I, this is what I recall from when we did the movie on Best Picture, they specifically took out any wording that specifically said, like, KKK or Ku Klux Klan. Hmm. So, I can't remember how it goes in the movie, but, like, um, the guys would be like, um, hey Bob are you gonna go to the social meeting this weekend <laughs> yeah you know I'm gonna be there and like so they used some other term like social meeting and it was like wink wink you know mm. but but they took they took away any specific references to it but it, I mean you can tell it's really obvious you know mm-hmm. what their gatherings are about they just won't name it
0: yeah yeah this one they showed the kKK we even saw this really creepy rally with like this this little girl and and uh Ronald Reagan was the lead. He was like investigating them. And there was this little girl who was like, Oh, hi. And he's like, She should be in bed, not here. And I was like, Oh, what a stern uh, condemnation of the KKK bringing their kids to their rallies. Hmm. It was still a good movie, though. I would still recommend it. It's Storm warning, but I definitely thought that was another uh, victim of the code.
1: Yeah, I can't remember the last. The last good non current. What the fuck do you call it? Like. Older movie I have never seen before. I can't remember the last good one that I saw. That sticks in my mind.
0: I watched one uh, that I could recommend. Might want to check out if it's available anywhere. It's called, I'm uh, pretty sure it was The Lost Weekend. You ever heard of it?
1: Mm, off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, it had Ray Moland, and he was like this this alcoholic writer. And he was, he was supposed to go away on like a weekend to try to sober up but instead he just went on an insane bender and just like his whole life collapsed around him in, in just one weekend. Really good movie.
1: What year is this?
0: Uh, I think it was another 40s one because Raymoland looked pretty young, but I'll, I'll quickly look it up. Yeah, 45.
1: I wonder how um, Brief Encounter, I wonder how that came up on Sean's list of things to, to, to where he, I mean, I don't know. Was it a Best Picture nominee or something? Like, Oh, I don't know. I'm just curious why he already owns a copy of it.
0: Yeah. I know in in the circles where it... uh, I think it was like a Criterion release, so it has its circle of fans. I just feel like it's not one that you really hear about much anymore. But, um, yeah. Looks like it was up for uh, uh, Best Director. I don't know if it was up for Best Picture. Let me see. Nominated for David Lean.
1: I I haven't seen that many movies from the 40s in the grand scheme of things. And... I'm starting to think those are like the best looking That's those are the best looking, or it was the era of the best looking black and white movies. it Seems to me is the forties.
0: Yeah, a lot of really good ones. Yeah, I just saw Casablanca in the theater about two weeks ago as well. It looks stunning on the big screen.